Well, hi, folks. It's um, it's me again. There's a lot more people here now than were earlier. <laughs> um, most of you know me. I'm Sue Montanez. I am our Connections Director here at Grace. Um, so our readings this past week through <clears throat> through the poets um, combined, for me anyway, with what this time of year is for me every year, um, just brings some thoughts that I would like to, to share with you. It's a little bit of a tough time of year for me every year at this time. Um, it marks uh, the few weeks prior to the anniversary of when my husband passed away. Um, and that's been seven years ago almost now. Um, and it also marks the time that I guess I finally started to hear God's call on my life. Um, I realize now that he was, he was inviting me all along. I just kind of started paying attention finally after that. Um, and as I've been continuing to grow in my love for God, he continues to invite me into deeper and deeper relationship with him. Larry died on the Tuesday before Easter that year. And um, <laughs> last service too. <laughs> my my brother um, flew out immediately from Michigan to be with me and, and the family and um, he had this suggestion for us. He said, hey, why don't we go to an Easter sunrise service? Why don't we just go? Let's go Let's go check it out. Let's go see. Well, at this point, I had actually never been to a church service before in my life. And so, um, you know, as I remember that, I, that, that occurrence, I think about what Jesus said to the two disciples who were following him. And they asked him, Rabbi, where, where are you staying? And Jesus said to them, Come and see. And that was an invitation then, and it's, it was the invitation that my brother offered at that point in my life, too, to just come and see. Well, in the weeks after Larry passed away, I couldn't do anything. I just laid in bed and, and channel surfed and flipped around on, on uh, channels, and I landed on this, this program called Hope Sabbath School. I had been reading the Bible, which I didn't understand any of it, and um, they were doing a Bible study, and I was hooked. I did my, my first Bible study from my bed. <laughs> and one day, as I was there, it just kind of hit me what God's grace was all about, and it was amazing, just like the song said. And what happened at that point was I realized that it was, it was for me and that God loved me as well. So fast forward. I found this church. And I went on the Alpha course, and that was my jump start to learning more about who God is. And, and um, such happy times I had with that, learning all about God's character. And I was in a, a loving small group at the time that helped me through that journey. And I saw pr prayers answered and just kept on learning more and more about God's character. And with each revelation of his character, it was an invitation for me to get a little closer, a little deeper with him. But I can tell you that more deeply hasn't always felt good. Um, it, it hurts sometimes, and sometimes it hurts real badly. And I lament over what happens sometimes where, you know, I can see my errors pretty quickly now, and I can see them pretty clearly now, where sometimes I feel like the first part of Psalm 102 was written just for me personally, where it says in part, Lord, hear my prayer. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I've lost my appetite. I'm like, a, like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far-off wilderness. You see, for me, it's kind of like um, 
that old movie, anybody, some of you will not relate to this. <laughs> I'm looking back at the, at the young people in the audience. That old movie called Harold and Maude. Anybody? Yeah. So in this movie, Harold is this death-obsessed teen. And Maude is this 80-year-old woman who is just totally obsessed with life. Total polar opposites. Well, there's this scene where Maude is, you know, yet again borrowing another car. She would steal them. And Harold... <laughs> Harold said to her, among other things, he says, nevertheless, I think you're upsetting people. And that can be me. I'll be barreling along thinking I'm doing the right thing. And suddenly I realize that I've been upsetting people with the words that I've used. And I can hurt them and I can hurt them deeply. I don't even think about it sometimes. And boom, there it is. For me, faith building sometimes can feel like a tailspin. But then I remember who God says that I am. And, you know, in the nine chapters of Proverbs, if you got through them this time, uh, this week, um, that we were to read, God addresses me and all of us ten times as my child or my children. And he says that a lot throughout all of the Bible, too. And that speaks volumes to me about him, him expressing his love to me. And tells me even more about who he is. And I think about Proverbs 24:16, where it says, The godly may trip seven times, <laughs> but they will get up again. I know that these mistakes that I keep on making, they don't define me. And that as God's child, he wants me to get up again. And he wants me to learn from these things that I'm doing. And I know that he's working in me and he's burning away the gunk um, kind of painfully sometimes, but when I can get past feeling like that little owl, um, I can see how Christ has changed me over the years. And I, you know, there's, there's joy that comes out of that pain too. Psalm 95 says, joyful are those you discipline, Lord, those you teach with your instructions. And, um, you know, from that point, I can start to sing a new song to Jesus too. I can recognize his mercies anew and how he loves me. Anyway, I started all of this little reflection time um, talking about a couple of invitations. And remember, one of them was from my brother who did that invitation to an Easter service. Um, I wonder if you can see how God maybe could use you too to offer an invitation to somebody that you know to just come and see. Um, it made a world of difference to me. And you have that chance too. We have Easter coming up here, so that might be a chance for you to say to somebody that you know, come and see. Thanks. So many of you have been joining us and you've been reading through these uh, poetic and wisdom books of the Old Testament through this 40 days of Love Expressed. How are you doing? You doing okay with this so far? We only have like a couple of weeks left to go. So if you've been able to stick with it, great job. I encourage you to keep going with it as we get close to the end. And hopefully you've been learning and growing through this experience as well. I, I, I've been hearing some reports from some of you. You've called, emailed, sent me some various messages letting me know what you've been learning, how you've been growing through this. And I appreciate that. Please keep those coming. In fact, in your online sermon notes today, you'll see a little box there at the top uh, where you can click uh, at mygrace.church where you can just kind of give me any feedback of how you've been growing over these last few weeks through this series. I'd, I'd love to hear more from you. Now, through this series called Love Expressed, We've been learning together how God's love is expressed to us and through us in a variety of ways, right? A lot more ways than we thought we could actually express love. We've learned about how love can be expressed through things like creativity and through showing mercy to people, right? We've learned how 
we can express love to people through their imperfections and so many ways uh, over these last few weeks through, through the wise words that God gives us at different times, right? So today we're going to be looking at one more of those and that's how God's love is expressed to us and through us by protecting the vulnerable. Now this week we're going to be reading a few more of the Psalms as well as the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, how many of you have actually read Ecclesiastes before? Raise your hands. Have any of you read that book before? Okay, this is, a, this is going to be a very interesting book. Some would say it's a very depressing book. Um, it's a book that King Solomon wrote probably about 3,000 years ago. And he was, it said that he was one of the wisest men who ever lived. And he actually writes about many things that he noticed in this world that is just messed up. Like things in life that just don't work the way they should. For example, people being treated unjustly. He says in here that in, in the Ecclesiastes that life is unpredictable and sometimes it's just downright unfair. We can work all of our lives, he says, to gain power and wealth and wisdom and try to protect ourselves from ever being vulnerable in this life. And yet there's nothing we can do to stop that, Right? No matter how strong you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how smart you are, your life can change in an instant. Solomon actually says about this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, this. Listen to this. This will be a big picker-upper. Again, he says, I observed all the oppression that takes place under the sun. He says, I saw the tears of the oppressed with no one to comfort them. The oppressors have great power and their victims are helpless. So I concluded, this is Solomon's conclusion here, so I concluded that the dead are better off than the living. But most fortunate of all are those who are not yet even born, for they have not seen all the evil that is done under the sun. Wow. What do we do with that? Kind of depressing, right? So Solomon sees these people who are being taken advantage of, and no one is coming to their aid. No one is doing anything about it. And his response is just to throw his hands up in the air and say, you know what, it would be better off if we had just not been born. If we had just never been born, we'd have been better off than living in this messed up world that we're in today. But is he right? Are we better off never having been born? Of course not. So what is the answer then to the injustice that we see. I say that Solomon had the answer right under his nose the whole time. He actually mentions it in verse 1. The answer isn't to give up. It isn't to get frustrated at the depravity of the world around us, but rather to inject love into the situation by helping protect the vulnerable. Solomon saw in his day Things happening and he saw that no one was coming to comfort. No one was coming to help those who were vulnerable. No one stood up for those who were struggling. No one did anything. No, everyone was doing the easy thing and weren't getting involved. And so we see one of the most beautiful expressions of love is actually in that. That we protect the vulnerable. Standing up for the vulnerable is seldom safe or easy. There's no better expression of love. 
Today, I don't want us to focus on Ecclesiastes. I don't want us to focus on Solomon's depressing words about the depravity of the world that we live in. Instead, I want us to focus on Psalm 124 this morning and see God's response to that. To see how God doesn't just tell us how to protect the vulnerable, but he demonstrates it. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 124 for just a moment. We'll actually spend some time in that passage today. And again, if you have your, your smartphones, you can go to mygrace.church. Maybe flip it into airplane mode so you don't have all those pinging distractions. And you can just focus right in on the scriptures. But let's look at that for this. And as, as you're turning there this morning, let me say this. This psalm that we're getting ready to read was actually written by David, who was King Solomon's dad. And it was written in a time in his life, we don't know the exact circumstances that were going on, but what we see as we read this psalm is that God's people were under some tremendous persecution, some trial, they were being attacked, and they were thanking God for coming to their aid and not leaving them vulnerable. Let's look at Psalm 124 this morning. It says this, What if... The Lord had not been on our side. Let all Israel repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord who does not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from the hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, I always like this psalm. You know, when I'm doing my readings, I've gotten in a habit in the last few months of actually reading. This is one of the psalms I'm reading almost every day, just going back to it. It just really speaks to me. It's what some people call the great what-if psalm in the Bible. It entertains this most horrible thought for just a moment. What if God wasn't there? What if God didn't intervene at times in our lives? What if he didn't care enough to get involved, to protect us when we're most vulnerable? Notice it doesn't say that God prevents pain and suffering, does it? It doesn't say that God keeps bad stuff, horrible stuff from happening in our lives. It just says that in the midst of it, God doesn't allow those things to overtake us and to overwhelm us. And there's a big difference. These opening lines in the first few verses of Psalm 124, they remind us that we are all vulnerable at times. No one is immune from injustice. No matter how hard we try to protect ourselves, we can't fully. Will he? Can we? There are some hazards on the road of every person's journey, Christian or not. David knew it. He wrote about it here in Psalm 124, about the destructiveness of war and the power of, say, flash floods from just sweeping everything away. Solomon knew it. And when you, if you read Ecclesiastes this week, you're going to see the first half of it. He just goes on and on about it. You know, there was a uh, Celtic minister a few years ago named John O'Donohue. He was a pastor, but he was also a poet. And one of the things he wrote just before he died, he actually died unexpectedly at the age of 52. He said this. He said, because we are so engaged with the world, we can forget how fragile life can be. 
at how vulnerable we always are. It only takes a few seconds for a life to change irreversibly. Isn't that true? Seconds. We want to believe that we're in control of our lives. But are we? We can work hard to provide a safety net financially to make sure we're always okay financially. We never have hardship and struggles. And that's a good thing, but it can all be gone tomorrow, right? We can, there, there's, no, there, there's no insurance policy. There's no security system that can protect us and protect our stuff. There's not been one that's been created that's that good. We can take self-defense classes to protect ourselves and we can keep doing these self-defense classes until we become a, a Jedi master. You know? Lightsabers and all. And we can still be attacked. Right? We're, there's nothing that we can do to fully protect ourselves. And that's a humbling realization. Solomon looked at all this and he just threw his hands up and he's like, I give up. I don't see the answer here. I don't understand it. Maybe it's just better off that we're not born. But what we must realize in those moments is our dependence on God. But you know, there are some people in our midst that are especially vulnerable. Even right here in our own city. Over the last few months, some of you know this, we've had a team of people who are passionate about outreach and helping us reach as a community, our greater community for Christ. They've been working for the last three or four months, finding ways that we can best engage our community and help reach people for Christ. And we've been, this team of about a dozen people, nearly a dozen people, have talked to several dozen people here in town and asking them all the same question, two questions. Number one, what are the greatest needs you see right around town here? And number two, how well are they getting met? Pretty simple, right? I mean, we've talked to many people all over town. We have talked to everyone from, from first responders like the head of Golden Ranch Fire Department and the chief of police here in Oro Valley to we've talked to several high school, elementary school principals. We've talked to um, the heads of several nonprofit organizations here in town, finding, asking them all this question. And we've been surprised at what we've been finding out. You know, sometimes we think that we live in this I don't think we, we, we ever really say it, but I think sometimes we think we live kind of in a bubble where the real bad stuff doesn't happen here. It happens way out there, right? It happens in Detroit or San Francisco or L.A. or India or Pakistan or something, right? And we don't realize that there are people who are vulnerable, people who are hurting right here within a few miles radius of our church. And one of the actual one of the big surprises that we have found, one of the most vulnerable populations in our community right now is our senior population. I mean, think about this. Over the last many years, large, large numbers of people have come from all over the parts of the country to retire here, haven't they? Come to settle it down here and to, to make a, a beautiful place to live. And then they live here for a while and Unfortunately, one of them will lose a spouse, and they have no one. And then over time, they start failing in health. We're now coming up on the edge of where the baby boomers are going to start hitting into that, eight, that range where they become more and more vulnerable. And our, the people in our city are saying, you would not believe the needs that are right in front of us. They are overwhelmed 
I was, I was actually surprised. Who helps them when they have no family here? Who protects them? Many of them, nobody does. And then we're also seeing in our community that one of the most vulnerable populations is also our children. You know, I, I was actually, this was another surprise. I was actually talking to one of the police officers right here in our Oro Valley Police Department not a few weeks ago. She was actually one of the people who, was, help, who helps run the sex crimes unit in Oro Valley Police Department. And I asked her what are the greatest needs she sees and how well they're getting addressed. And she says, well, I'll tell you one that's not getting really addressed at all. She said, let me just tell you this, Dave. She says, guess what one of the, one of the uh, most used search terms in Oro Valley was here recently, in recent weeks. I said, I have no idea. What is it? She said, the word incest. I said, I don't understand. Why is that? And she said, Dave, she says, the plague of pornography is hitting our city to such great levels that it's not enough anymore for a lot of people. And they're actually going online and learning how to take advantage of children. Their nephews, their, their nieces, the neighbor's kids even their own kids. And she says, what breaks my heart is they're getting away with it. There's nothing we can do. They're learning how to avoid getting caught. We have kids all around us every day that are suffering, that are vulnerable. She says, did you know that one in eight boys and one in three girls become victims in this way in some fashion and it affects them long term? And then she said, this was the one that really got me. She said, 93% of those kids, they are victimized by someone they know and trust. Foster kids are the most especially vulnerable. All these vulnerable populations right around us, and they're facing loneliness, depression, some of them dealing with self-harm or suicide -ish, uh, thoughts, we can take Solomon's attitude to all this and just throw our hands up. It's like, well, they would have been better off dead. They would have better off not been born. Or we can follow the example that God sets for us and ask how God wants me, God wants you to do something about it, to protect the vulnerable. Because love protects the vulnerable. In the final verses of Psalm 124 that we read just a few minutes ago, David goes from what could have happened to what did happen, to how God stepped in. He says, we were attacked, but we weren't destroyed. God shows us his love for us and how he protects us. When trouble sweeps over us, when we're taken advantage of, God says, I am there in that nasty, messy situation. I love what, what Isaiah 43, 2 says here. It says, when you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. Do you notice here, I've highlighted it for you so you can see. When you go through these things, many of us, we're praying that we can go around them. That we can somehow avoid these things at all costs. But Isaiah reminds us, we can't avoid them. We can't just be safe all of our lives. But when we go through those things, God is there. And God protects through the storm. 
Look at Psalm 91, starting in verse 5. It says, Do not be afraid of the terrors of night, nor the hour that flies by day. And then back in verse 14 it says, For the Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. There's not a condition there of maybe I will, maybe I won't. God protects And then 15, it says, when they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. Yeah, there are times when God supernaturally acts on our behalf to protect us. But that gets back to where we started today. Think about it. God calls us. God expects us to get involved. To protect those who are vulnerable around us. God doesn't make it perfectly safe when we get involved. He doesn't make it easy. He doesn't make it convenient. Yet God wants us to do something. And he doesn't want us to depend on government services or someone else to do the job that he calls us to do. God calls us to open our mouths and speak up for the vulnerable. Isaiah says, Isaiah is really convicting about this. Isaiah says, don't say that I don't know what to do. He says, learn what to do. In Proverbs chapter 24, it says, don't plead ignorance. When you know that there are people suffering around you, get involved. Get in the game. And your gauge for involvement, Jesus said, is pretty simple. He, said, he says, ask yourself what you would want someone to do for you if you were in that situation. And then take the initiative and do it. That's Jesus' words to us. Let me ask you this morning. Can you think of a time in your life when you were entirely dependent on God? When your back was against the wall, when you were in a place of vulnerability, and you thought, if God doesn't come through to help me, if God doesn't come through to protect me, I'm done. Can any of you think of a place like that in your life where you've been there? How did God come through for you? Did he perhaps use someone in the process? In the end, God always, always gives justice to those who are treated unfairly. That's made very clear in Scripture. God always gets the last word, as Psalm 103 says. But um, he also reminds us in the book of James that that doesn't mean that the problems are left up to God. It doesn't mean that the vulnerable vulnerable people in our community are left up to someone else. James says that a faith that is pure, a faith that is real... A faith that counts for something is a faith that does two things. I love how practical James is in the New Testament. And and he points it out. He says, pure and genuine religion means two things. He makes it very clear. He says, care for the vulnerable and seek to live a holy life. Period. That's it. Live a holy life and protect the vulnerable. We don't always do these things because they're safe. We do them because they're right. Um, The first 10 years back in the 90s that I lived in Arizona, I worked for a nonprofit organization that helped um, come alongside churches to recruit, prepare, and lead short-term mission trips to countries all over the world. 
I really enjoyed this work. It wasn't something I can't moved out here to do. God blessed me with this opportunity of working with this man who was starting this nonprofit organization. He had been the former dean of students at Denver Seminary. He had also been a professor for many years, a professor of theology. And so, but he had this desire to, to start this ministry to help churches get on the mission field and to serve the least of these. And he was a great leader. But I will never forget what, while I was serving there shortly after 9-11... 9-11 all of a sudden caused our ministry to just dry up almost overnight as churches became fearful. And they didn't want to go on the mission field anymore because it wasn't safe. I remember so many conversations uh, Dr. Orvis had with people in, in churches over those months and even a couple years that followed where he said, guess what? You were never safe before 9-11 when we took these trips. And he says, guess what? You're not safe here in America either. He pointed out how cultures like ours where we don't see stark injustice in front of our eyes on a regular basis, how in cultures like ours, we tend to pray for safety a lot. But he says, in other parts of the world where injustice is a day-to-day reality, he says, they're not all the time praying for safety. He says, that's not a a common prayer you're going to hear. He says, what they're praying for is for God to use them in the brokenness, in the injustice, in the mess, to love the trapped, the broken, the vulnerable, and make a difference in their lives. My boss challenged churches all the time, and he was saying, it's not a biblical prayer, he said, to pray for safety. He said, he actually told me, he said, show me, David, in the Bible where it says to pray for safety. He said, show me. Show me the verse. He says, you're not going to find it. And me being the astute, young, little seminary student I was, I'm like, I'm going to prove him wrong. And I, I looked, and I looked, and I looked. And he was a seminary professor. What did I know, right? He was right. We're not called to pray for safety. We're called to pray for protection. And, and there's a difference. We're not praying that bad things never happen to us. But what we're praying is that God will protect us, that God will preserve us, that God will use us through those things. That's what Isaiah 43.2 said, right? That when we walk through those things, God will be with us. That God will, we pray that God will raise up the church to be his hands and feet, to be Jesus with skin on in times like that. The truth is, guys, life is not safe. Never has been. It never will be. And God doesn't always shield us from painful things. Life is a spiritual battle. And at times, Christians, we're not exempt from the battle. In fact, what we find is that God tends to push us out on the front lines of the battle. He calls us to love people by fighting for them, by protecting them. So I wonder this morning, who are you fighting for today? Who are you fighting for Who are you helping? Who are you protecting? Is there someone in your life who's a bit more vulnerable even than you are that God has put into your life for a reason? Maybe it's a neighbor that you've met down the street who's a single mom and she's working two jobs just to try to make ends meet. And the kids are at home alone a lot of the times because there's no one to watch them. And God says, well, you've noticed. What can you do? Maybe... Maybe it's a kid who is struggling and falling behind in school, is struggling learning how to read. And God says, 
you could do something about that. Maybe it's a veteran who's struggling to just cope with life, and no one seems to understand what he's going through, but you understand what he's going through because you've been there. Maybe it's a refugee or an immigrant, maybe even an illegal immigrant, and they're living in our community, they're, they're all around us, and rather than looking at them and being frustrated, what if we looked at them and thought, you know what, that mom is here because she wants nothing more than to make sure her kids have a safe place to lay their head at night. And she's trying to navigate this system. What can I do? How can I be Jesus with skin on? Maybe it's a homeless man, and you keep running into this individual over and over again, and you keep thinking, they should know by now how to get out of this mess. But do they? Can they? Or is God saying, I put them in your life, you can do something. Maybe it's someone who struggles with an addiction. We have people all around us who are struggling with addictions to narcotics, to prescription medications, painkillers, and they're all around us. And we can get frustrated and we're like, if you would just hold down a job long enough, if you would just go to rehab, what if God's saying, if you would just walk alongside them and love them, be Jesus with skin on, that's what they need. Maybe it's a senior in our community and they're getting to that place where they're becoming a little more vulnerable and they're having trouble getting rides to the doctor or to the grocery store and taking care of the things that they once just so easily took care of themselves. And God said, I created you for that person. You know what? They're, those seniors are everywhere. Um, one of the things that really surprised me was one day I was talking to the chief of police here in Oil Valley. His name was Danny Sharp. And I was asking him what the greatest needs he saw, and he actually brought the senior concern as well. He says, Dave, he says, I've got several volunteers to the Oil Valley Police Department. And he says, I'm using them all the time. That all they do is they go around from house to house, talking to seniors, checking in, making sure they're okay, making sure that they're eating, making sure that they're getting to doctor's appointments, making sure that you know, they're taking a bath, just basic things. He says, you'd be surprised how many things are getting missed when they're living alone. And he says, we can't keep up with it. We talked to the head of, of the local food bank here. And the, 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 the head of the food bank here in town said, you know what? I've got dozens of volunteers right now running seniors to doctor's appointments because they had no one to bring them. And they said, it's just a drop in the bucket. We have barely scratched the need that we're getting bombarded with right now. And both of them, both of them, you know what they said? We wish the church would stand up and do something. That's hard. They're all around us. Can't we miss it? You know, a few months ago, I did this series called Loving Your Neighbor, remember? And we talked about, do you know the neighbors right around your home? How many of you have been able to keep up with that? Do you, you know who they all are yet? Are you still working on it? Maybe, maybe some of you, you've tried to reach out to them and you're like, Dave, I, I, got, I now know who they are, but they're not really interested in me being in their lives. You know, they're busy and they've got all these other things going on and I don't see my way to, to build relationship with them. You know, that's okay. Because Jesus calls us 
When he calls us to love our neighbor, he says, go and make disciples. Build relationships with those who are around us and help them see how much I love them. Maybe it's not the person who physically lives in the house next to you, but it's someone in your neighborhood, someone in your city that you know, someone that you meet through a G-City outreach, and you're like, that's my person. That's the one God's saying, I can walk alongside them and I can love them and I can be Jesus when they need someone to be Jesus for them. What, let me ask you something. What if, and this is just purely hypothetical here, think about this for a minute. What if each one of us in this room today, each one of us who are called by God to love our community, what if each one of us just found one person? One person. Not a bunch of people that we can help, but we found one person. Each one reach one kind of a thing. Maybe it's a next door neighbor or maybe it's someone that you have met who's a little bit more vulnerable, who lives nearby and you make space in your lives to love them, to spend time with them, to to build relationship with them. Maybe they don't know Christ yet, but through your example and through some of your time, you build relationship with them. You help meet their needs as they come up and you're Jesus to them. And maybe through, the, through you, they come to know what the love of God really looks like. They don't just learn about it, but they experience it firsthand. They experience it through you. And what if, what if, as a result of that one relationship, that one person comes to believe that the God that you serve is real and says, I would like to take you up on your invitation and join you at church on Sunday. Or to come to Alpha on a Wednesday night. And what if, as a result of that, they give their lives to Christ? You might say, Dave, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen to me. Really? Look around this room. It's happened many, many times already. And God says, I want to use you. I'll close with this. In World War II, all across Europe, there were people everywhere who were needing help. Millions of Jewish people who those in power saw as not valuable, overnight they became vulnerable and they were sent to concentration camps to die. There were many Christians who stood up and tried to do something. They were hiding Jews in their attics, in fake walls of their homes. Was it easy? No. Was it safe? <laughs> no, are you kidding? No way. People like Corey Ten Boom and her family were caught and sent to concentration camps as they had been hiding Jews in their home. There was one Christian in particular that managed to do everything possible to save Jews and save 1,200 Jews single-handedly. His name was Oscar Schindler, Right? Many of you have heard of him. Maybe you watched the movie Schindler's List when it came out, like, what, 25 years ago. Oscar Schindler said one thing in his life during this season, during World War II, that really struck me. I'll never forget it. He said this. He said, whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Whoever saves one life saves the world entire. In other words, yeah, there are people all around us. There's a whole world that's broken. It's a mess. You can take Solomon's attitude like, it's, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. There's nothing I can do about it. It'd be better off that everybody's never been born. 
Or we can say, I can do something about one. I can reach one. And if the 400 or so of us reached one, there's 400 more people who came face to face with Christ through our example, through loving the vulnerable. Guys, don't buy the lie that we don't have vulnerable people in our city. They are everywhere. It's a little bit more challenging. We have to open up our eyes to see them rather than closing our eyes because it feels overwhelming. But they are there. And God calls to you and me today and says, will you do something? Will you reach out to the vulnerable in our community? Will you reach out to the veteran? Will you reach out to the senior citizen? Will you reach out to the kid in the foster system? Will you reach out? You fill in the blank. Maybe God's stirring in your heart right now and you already know who that person is or you know who that population is. There's, there's a group of people and you've always had this heart for them, this bigger-than-life heart. And maybe you've never engaged, maybe you've never done anything about that and God says, would you, would you get to know one person? Maybe even through a G-City outreach, you can, you know, these, these G-Cities are men, meant to be nothing more than on-ramps where you can get connected with the needs in our community, roll up your sleeves, and through the process, build relationships. That's what we're trying to do here because we believe that if you can reach one more person for Christ, if you can enter into their lives and love them as Jesus would, that makes all the difference in the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time today. Oh, I, I, I know that for many of us, we, we, our lives are so full our calendars are full, and we think, gosh, how could I possibly find time to help someone around me? A neighbor, a senior citizen, anyone who is vulnerable. Lord, do you see my calendar? God, I pray that you would just do whatever it is that you need to do to wipe that calendar clean, to make this space. For those of us who would say, yeah, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm an introvert. I, I struggle with relationships. I, I don't know how, I, I don't think I can do this. God, I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the heart that's bigger than our own insecurities to see those who are hurting around us and love them without condition. Lord, help us to get our focus off of ourselves and onto the broken. Lord, you see them every day. You see them walking up and down Ina Road and Lachoya Boulevard. You, you see them in the coffee shops and the grocery stores and the government service buildings all around us. You see them in the doctor's offices, and it breaks your heart. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours. Every one of us. Help us, Lord to see what you see and help us to do something. In Jesus' name, amen.